Hello and welcome to the Forbes India Special Report podcast series in association with theindicast.com. My name is Abhishek and I have with me Shloka Nath from Forbes India to share her thoughts on her exhaustive report on India's biggest law firm Amarchand Mangaldas. It's a family run enterprise for the ones who are new to law where sibling rivalry comes with the package. Uh, hi Shloka, it's great to have you here. Hi Abhishek, I'm glad you used the term exhaustive. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, it is, isn't it? It's an 8000 odd word story. That's true. It is. It is really long, but also, you know, I feel exhausted. <laughs> so that's a good term to have used. But it was definitely a fascinating story to have done, and the experience was actually wonderful. So you know, I'm now feeling a tremendous sense of loss now that the story is actually finished with. So oh, it's not done yet, right? It's eight thirty in the morning, and we are talking about a lot. I would never have bet. in my life that i would be talking about law at this hour uh, unless, <laughs> unless i was writing an exam or something but times are different now i get to ask the questions so why don't you tell us what's what's the story about so the story is about amarchand and mangaldas india's leading corporate law firm and it's the most influential and it's going through a transition process you know moving from a family run proprietary organization to a more professional services organization really and so this transition that amarchand is taking on is being watched really really closely not only by the rest of the legal industry in india mm-hmm. which is also hoping in some ways to emulate it but also by corporate india it's being watched globally because there are foreign firms looking to come into the country right and a significant portion of your article also dwells in the working styles of the two brothers and how it sometimes helps and sometimes doesn't in the success of the 100 million dollar firm so how different are their working styles did you get a chance to interact with the two of them in interviews for the story yes i did they were actually i have to say two of the most brilliant individuals i've ever met um and you can see why amarchand is you know as successful as it is with these two people driving it at the helm essentially the firm was started in the early 1900s by amarchand shroff and his son took over the reins for Shroff in the early 1980s or the 1990s and then it passed down to his two sons Cyril and Shardul Shroff Shardul is essentially manages the Delhi region which consists of Delhi and Kolkata he's the elder brother mm-hmm. and the younger brother Cyril handles Mumbai Bangalore and Hyderabad which constitutes the Mumbai region right. What happened was Suresh Raf their father passed away in 1994 and prior to that 14 years prior to that in 1980 Shardul actually had to go and handle the Delhi practice all by himself mm-hmm. so he had no one sort of helping him in Delhi he told me that the day he landed there he had about 3000 cases to argue because they bought over an old firm mm-hmm. and they had to sort of build the entire practice from scratch and he said he never appeared a day in court So for him he says it was a baptism by fire he just sort of had to sink or swim right. he was you know doing everything from manning the reception table to sweeping the floors all by himself and it was just him and his wife and two other partners that's with it mm-hmm. and he's built a delhi practice now it's i think over 150 lawyers is doing brilliantly and he's become the number one disinvestment lawyer in the country as well so he sort of got the government's ear on any sort of project finance deals infrastructure deals whereas in bombay things were quite different because cyril worked under his father for those 14 years till his father passed away in the 1990s so the office was more or less bequeathed to him he inherited it as opposed to having to go there and fight for it tooth and nail like shardul had to 
so their working styles as a result are very very different uh, in your interaction you you might have had certain common questions to ask so were you surprised when you heard them to be completely different from each other like jogan <laughs> yes they do they do have very different ways of expressing the same thing for instance so for instance when they talk about their vision for the growth of the firm they will say you know it's two b's and an i it's bigger biggest and independent and shardul will say three b's and a double i he say bigger best brightest and independent institution so ultimately they're sort of saying the same thing but it's just a very different way of expressing it so you know also over the years what happened as a result is because of those personality differences people have really not understood that ultimately i think beneath it all a lot of their vision is also the same their work cultures are very different as well when i compare the two offices it's like chalk and cheese because bombay is it's a peninsula chambers and it's all uh, marble and beautiful teak furnishings and very grand and impressive and delhi is glass steel the building is very modern inside it's all bright colors and very modernistic so you can see the difference in work cultures from everything to just how different their offices are to things like how they handle support functions so shardul in delhi for instance has a nine headed hydra system where all these different administrative heads and they all report to him so from library management to you know any other kind of support function right. whereas in bombay cyril has seven administrative heads and they report to a coo he's hired from london and that coo ultimately reports to cyril because cyril is the head of strategy so there are these disparities that you find even though overall for instance you know the internal auditors are the same their hr policies are also one but they do you know for instance delhi's also hired an australian hr consultant to handle the change management in the firm and in bombay the same thing is done by a professor of indian origin from harvard law school integration between the two offices has become a problem which both the brothers acknowledge right. and they're working on it but as i see they have a pretty impressive uh, clientele right pichidambaram nandan nilekani mugesh ambani so something yeah. working for them Yes that's true the client list has to be seen to be believed it was one of i think the best things about working on this story was getting to talk to all these people because they're all their clients and i have to say it's really a testament to amarchand and mangaldas's reputation and the the practice that they've built over the last 40 50 odd years because as a journalist one of the biggest frustrations in this job is that very often whenever you reach out to people they don't always reach out back to you The amazing thing about this story was that when I actually reached out to all these people they all responded because they knew this was a story about Amitabh and Mangaldas and many of them have very personal relationships with Cyril and Shardul so people like Peter Ambaram for instance you know work with Pallavi Shroff that Shardul's wife and Shardul all the time because like I said the Delhi office handles a lot of disinvestments a lot of huge government litigation goes there in bombay of course it's the same for cyril he's probably india's leading corporate transactional lawyer so he has these very long standing relationships some of them built by his father with reliance with the tatas with icsai kv kamath was another one who spoke very highly of the brothers and of the firm so that was fascinating to talk to these you know leading industrialists and corporates and really hear 
their perspective on the men who sort of handle everything for them as we never really talk about lawyers you know they're the sort of unseen unheard entities behind every corporate deal absolutely in fact uh, the other day i was talking to indrajit gupta or ig as you guys like to address him the editor and he said mm-hmm. that this is the first time i presume that an attempt has been made arguably to put a law firm under the scanner through this report yeah. <laughs> and i suspect one of the reasons why amarchand mangaldas has gone so big is that the legal market uh, is still to be liberalized that is foreign firms are not allowed to practice in india yet and this decision like many others has been pending for a long time am i right Yes that is true and the decision actually was made in December there was a long standing case that was there mm-hmm. and the Bombay High Court ruled in you know against the foreign law firms when there is a signatory to the WTO mm-hmm. and under those obligations we have to liberalize our legal sector it's just a matter of time so it's a question of when not if you know everybody sort of trying out different things before foreign firms come in so amarchand has decided that they're going to have this the brothers love to sort of espouse this theory of two engine growth or the two wheels of a bicycle they, or they refer to this two pilots they sound like mbas yeah <laughs> they are they very management oriented actually when you talk to them it's, it's really surprising because you never expected from lawyers the strategy is very simple they like to believe that the family presence allows for a greater appetite for risk and clients also feel a sense of stability and comfort and this perception of continuity right in fact you spoke about the the technicality bit uh, where the world trade organization i'll quote the line from a report from commerce.nic.in and it, it's very interesting it says that foreign firms are not permitted to open shops in india as per the advocates act 1961 and they're also prohibited from giving any legal advice that could constitute practicing of indian law but now mm-hmm. the problem is one of my lawyer friends he said you know what you look up these two sections section 30 and 33 of the advocates act and mm-hmm. it says that professional practice of law in india is governed by the advocates act but the term legal practice is not defined there and yeah according to these two sections legal practice means you have to be there in the court and argue your case whereas what these foreign firms are saying look we are just advocating or you know it's it's consulting and not uh, law so they're trying to get away on this but they haven't been able to so it's it's debatable very much the the whole discussion absolutely time. absolutely in fact it was really interesting because one of the things that i was doing obviously for the story was talking to a lot of foreign firms they're just waiting to come in like india is a huge market right. the corporate legal fees are only growing every year cross border mnas are just on the rise so for them they cannot wait to jump in and a lot of them have already you know there's there's something called the backdoor entry of foreign firms in india which is you know a lot of them have already formed alliances or best friendships with indian firms right. and when liberalization eventually happens you know they'll most likely acquire those firms absolutely the backdoor um, entries are like they like to call them as ingenious solutions in times of adversity is what i think <laughs> yeah that that's, that's true that's a good way of putting it but yeah that's true yeah. and it's interesting because you know a lot of them feel that the indian legal industry or parts of the indian legal industry has reacted with you know paranoia as opposed to you know seeing the situation in a more practical sense so for instance sandeep katwala the head of linklaters in india he said something really interesting he said you know what happened is that a lot of um indian firms the fears that have been expressed about the entry of foreign firms he says they're unfounded because there's a concern that 
for some reason, people believe that international firms will then fly in non-Indian lawyers into India and they'll make a profit out of India, but they're really misunderstanding how international firms operate. And he says in Linklater situation, for instance, in many countries where they have offices, those offices are basically staffed by people from that jurisdiction. Right. So when foreign firms enter India, he says not only will they hire local talent, their ability to actually advise Indian firms will also be of benefit to the Indian legal profession. But then, on the other hand, some of the Indian firms are saying that, look, it's not a quote-unquote level playing field. In India, you can't advertise uh, law firms. You cannot even have your own website. You can't have more than 20 partners. When a foreign firm can have hundreds of them, you cannot raise capital. And during these times, if you bring in a foreign firm, then it will only do more injustice to the already fledgling domestic market of these legal firms. So that's one thing that, you know, Cyril Sharoff himself had written an article back in 2007 where he said that it's too much premature for the Indian law market to open up unless they get certain rules right. So in a way, I guess he too is right uh, because whenever we have opened any economy, it has been only after everyone has the same rules, everybody plays by the same rules and not the, the Orwellian theory where it goes that all men are equal and some are more equal in front of the law. You know, you're right. They do have a point. There is unfortunately a need to change the laws in India or the regulations when it comes to allowing Indian firms to build their practices. There are huge restrictions on them. And it's very fair to expect the government to change those restrictions before they allow these massive global foreign firms with 5,000 lawyers. They're present in average, you know, in about 20 countries, billion dollar firms, really. And of course, there will be a, a question of survival of the fittest. They want to be able to be at a particular size. You know, they're looking to double in size, for instance, in the next two or three years. This, the market opens up. So, in fact, the timing for them is even more crucial because within the next three to five years, foreign firms will be here and they need to be prepared. So, you know, there is a case and hopefully the government is looking at changing rules and regulations. There is, for instance, the LLP bill that was introduced last year, which allows Indian firms to have, you know, larger partnerships, not just restricted to the 20 that they are at now. But unfortunately, there are a few issues with that bill. There are some blind spots like taxation, for instance, which hasn't really been addressed properly. So as a result, not many firms have asked, you know, when it will happen soon and how it will happen, you know, we don't know yet. <laughs> That's true. And it's, there is a report which I read that says that uh, there is a firm called Baker and McKinsey in London and mm -hmm. Clifford Chance. Now, these are poaching Indian lawyers already and they have as much as 180 lawyers from India and Indian origin and they handle only cases of, uh, like you mentioned sometime back, the mergers and acquisitions. When an Indian firm acquires a foreign firm, these are the guys who advise those firms in that country. And India has a pool of some 600,000 lawyers, according to one report. So it's, it's a big pool and it's a big pie. And that's why the Indian domestic players are a little skeptical of allowing foreign firms Absolutely. to Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the foreign firms that I spoke to again and many of the Indian firms here, they were all very clear on one thing, which is that, you know, even if liberalization has not happened yet and it's a closed market, yeah. talent is mobile and that is, it, it's globally mobile. And right. that is something that you cannot hold back because if ultimately you have foreign firms that are looking to build Indian practices, which they are, because they're also preparing, don't forget, just as Indian firms are preparing, you've got the foreign firms preparing for liberalization and they want to come in and hit the ground running. Right. So they're building their Indian practices, and even if it's not based in India per se, they, you know, they're working out of Singapore or Hong Kong or even London. 
And so they're looking for the best talent. So what's happened in the last five odd years is that, in fact, on law school campuses, you will find that many of the foreign firms are, are present there and they are looking to hire the best talent and they have been. And for the last few years, it's been a bit of a battle between the Indian firms and the foreign law firms because much of the top tier talent is going there. So it's not only hiring from firms itself, it's also that they're going directly to campuses now, to national law schools and hiring. So you, in fact, you've even got BCG, McKinsey, consulting firms landing up at these campuses now, and they're hiring lawyers. So one so, way or the other, this is happening anyway. One way or the other, it's happening. And if you want to retain that talent, you're going to have to make your systems global, make your systems, uh, systems effective and efficient. Right. It's funny that nobody seems to be talking about the 30 million unsolved cases that we have in the Indian legal market for, because of the inefficiencies that have plagued it for so far. But that's another story altogether. We'll keep it for some other podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, it, they have tried to address it. Virapan Moili has come out and said that the judiciary is now, they have a five-year plan and they're setting up special fast-track courts to meet this challenge, but it's a long haul. So they're also doing their best on their side, so we'll see. That's true. In fact, to expedite or to get some money flowing in, what the Indian law firms are doing is they're banking a bit on the legal process outsourcing, this, this whole new concept where foreign firms, what they're doing is that the drudgery kind of work, like document review, legal research, writing, drafting of briefs, these are all sent to India and... Uh, the, the Indian lawyers get paid up to $350 an hour. And uh, eValueServe, that's a research firm, says that there are some 5,200 professionals which are taking in $300 million in India. And mm-hmm. This is going to reach uh, up to 18,000 professionals in by 2015 and will get close to a billion dollars. So in spite of all the constraints, uh, the Indians do find a way out, perhaps, but because this is an example wherein this is not uh, uh, practice, again. You don't have to be in court. That's their conditions apply asterisks. So this again, they say that, look, this is legal process outsourcing. A foreign firm can outsource work without setting a shop in India and pay Indians. So there is no competition. So best of both worlds. For yeah, <laughs> that's true. I think you're right when it comes to finding a way out. Mm-hmm. And that spirit of entrepreneurship, I don't think you can beat in there. <laughs> we'll, we'll always manage to beat the odds. Absolutely, and anything for the money, because you do know, right, there is this long-running joke among lawyers that how do you get a lawyer to smile when he's on camera? You I have no idea. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you do that? You don't shout, say cheese, you shout, say fees. <laughs> and you'll have the, them show, show the seats on cue. <laughs> I must actually tell that to Cyril and Charles. I think they'd enjoy it a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, thank you so much for lending your time at a pretty early time in the day, 8.30. And no, I'm happy to. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Abhishek. Yep. And all you guys listening out there, you can get this podcast on the Forbes India website. That's business.in.com as well as theindicast.com. And uh, looking forward to listening from the legal community, if there are a few who listen to podcasts, would be great to know what Shloka had to say here. Your comments. Thank you, Shloka, again. Thank you, Abhishek. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.